Hi, I'm Anya and welcome to the Not Going Back to Normal, Imagining Life Post-COVID podcast. We aim to bring you the most future-forward topics, covering everything from AI to avatars to climate change and more. If you're into data-driven optimism, then this is the podcast for you. If you like what you hear, please remember to subscribe, rate, and leave a review on Apple or wherever you get your pods. This helps us grow our podcast and bring you even more great guests. Today, we're talking about the effects COVID-19 has had on life for women, what has been disrupted, and what types of changes can we predict for the future. Women have been gathering together and sharing stories since the beginning of time, first around a campfire and today around a computer screen. The difference today is that it feels like the entire world is ready to listen, and we have the power of reach through this platform. So I'm honored to introduce three spectacular women making strides for female progress every single day, Catherine Connors, Lisa Bilyeu, and Anusha Ansari. Catherine Connors is a writer, storyteller, and academic focused on the place of women and girls in the private sphere. Currently, she's CEO of the League of Badass Women, a private global network of over 12,000 female leaders, innovators, and activists, with a focus on strategic action to support female leadership and innovation. Next, we have Lisa Bilyeu, co-founder and president of Impact Theory, a digital media production company focused on empowering content. She's also the co-founder of the billion-dollar company Quest Nutrition and founder and host of Women of Impact, a show focused on female empowerment and real-life superheroes. Finally, last but not least, we have Anusha Ansari, CEO of XPRIZE. She sponsored the $10 million Ansari XPRIZE, igniting a new era for commercial spaceflight. She captured headlines by becoming the first female private space explorer and first astronaut of Iranian descent. She's also a serial tech entrepreneur. Her memoir, My Dream of Stars, aims to share her life story as inspiration for young women around the world to go after their big dreams. All three of you incredible women are disrupting gender stereotypes with your work. Can each of you speak on what you are working on and your personal mission for female progress? Catherine, we'll start with you. Thank you, Anya. It's such a thrill to be with fellow badasses. As you mentioned, um, in addition to being a writer and a scholar and a collaborator of Lisa's on female superheroes, I'm also the CEO of the League of Badass Women, which is a private network of global female leaders and innovators. And the thing that we're working on right now, uh, the thing that I'm focused on in that work is in creating spaces and networks of collaboration for girls and women to be able to actually manifest their leadership powers, looking towards a future in which we're not grappling with the binaries of masculine and feminine and defining power and leadership along those binaries, but looking at leadership as a much more holistic, humane way of being that encompasses the sorts of attributes that we historically describe as feminine, such as empathy and vulnerability and intuition and caring, along with the more assertive attributes that we associate with masculinity. So it's exciting work, um, and I'm honored to be here to talk about the future that that work holds. Beautiful. How about you, Lisa? Yeah, so thank you so much for having me, Anya. For me, it really is. I had grown up in a very traditional Greek cultural background, and I was just told growing up, I was going to get married and have children, and that was going to be my life. And it wasn't until I got into adulthood and I started to explore my own desires and dreams that I started to realize that the belief system I had was given to me and handed to me by my family and friends, not deliberately, but it was. And I was trying 
trapped in thinking that I had to live a certain life. And so my mission really is once I broke that belief system, I was able to push myself and get better at skills and learning and step into a role of co-founder of a billion dollar company and creating impact theory in my new company. And it really came back down to the power of belief and the belief that if you think you can, you can. And if you think you can't, you can't. And so my whole thing really is being able to touch the lives of those young girls that right now believe that they can't. And in doing that in a way with my show Women of Impact, but also in the fictional side of things to show in an entertaining way that, hey, we can be the heroes of our own lives. You just have to believe it. And so the theme of real superheroes really does come from being around everybody on this podcast, right? These incredible women that I'm fortunate to have Anusha and Catherine on my show is you hear their stories. They are the real superwomen of today. And so we need to hear their stories and hold on to those like the truth. And so we know we can actually do what we set our minds to. And these ladies right here are a perfect example of how to do that. So powerful. Anusha, excited to hear your story. When I came to XPRIZE as the CEO a couple of years ago, one of the things I brought with me is years of working in the tech sector and especially working in an area where I was exposed to artificial intelligence and machine learning and watching how these technologies will transform the world in the near future. And they were seeping into everyday life and decision-making processes and not many people were noticing it. And as someone who worked in this field, I also knew that a lot of these areas, these systems, these technologies use data. But the data that was being used to train these systems was data that was biased because a lot of the areas that uh, we were using machine learning and AI was biased to begin with. And then we were training the machines to be biased without even knowing it. And when you train a machine who doesn't even understand what bias means, and then you just set it on this path uh, in dark and let them just learn from it, then you're setting yourself for failure because then you end up with a world that is biased and doesn't even understand that it's biased. So when I came to XPRIZE, I saw an opportunity to try to address this big issue, this invisible issue with the gender data gap challenges, a series of challenges that we hope to launch to actually shine a light in different areas where this data bias and data gap exists and try to create awareness around it, try to close that gap, try to collect that data, but more importantly, make sure that the companies, the businesses, the institutions that use this data to create products, to create policies, to create systems that will be making decisions actually are using a comprehensive, diverse set of data. That's amazing. That's real impact. All three of your initiatives working together to storytell, and create real impact behind the scenes. So let's dive into today, the current moment. What are the disruptions you see happening in our world due to COVID-19? Catherine, we'll start with you. Oh, the disruptions due to COVID-19. There are many, but there are a couple in particular that, that I'm interested in. One is uh, what we're seeing in terms of our the collapse, effectually, of the public and private sphere. Given that most of us all are sheltering in place, or at least are experiencing restrictions in movement, the workplace has had to shift. The consumer landscape has had to shift. We're now in our homes most of the time. Of course, in the current moment, when there's actually some 
civil protest going on, that itself has become a disruption that's fascinating to see and that we should talk about. But one of the things that it affects for women is that we're now seeing our lives occurring in the home in real time. And historically, that used to be something that was just really strictly divided, right? There's home life, and that was the realm and domain of women and femininity. And there was public life, the domain of business and politics. And of course, we've been sort of squeezing and working around these for a long time. But in this particular moment, we're seeing a complete collapse. Everybody is working from their home. Everybody is grappling with caring for children or parents or pets or homes. Everybody is grappling with striving to figure out how do we manage a public space and a commonwealth while we're still very much living at home. So it's a really interesting opportunity for us to really push against those divisions that have really disserved women. The other is that we're seeing patterns of leadership emerge, effective patterns of leadership that are more empathetic, that are more compassionate. Sadly, not as much at home in the United States, but around the world, we're seeing a lot of powerful examples of compassionate leadership, of empathetic leadership that are really validating the case for styles of leadership that in a different time we might have described as feminine, but that we can now look at and describe as human and effective. And the validation of those different models of leadership right now is a really powerful opportunity to push forward and to lean hard into. These models of leadership have emerged in the past. We have seen women and other underestimated leaders, minorities, immigrants, really powerfully affect change from the margins, but usually it gets erased. Right now, with the combination of Zoom and digital tools and the world stage, we have an opportunity to push the story forward that these are, in fact, powers, superpowers, you know, that Lisa will speak to, and that these are effectual models of leading and building and serving society and communities. Wow. Thank you so much. Anusha, we'll move on to you. What do you see as the impact? Well, because we were already looking at, you know, the society through the gender data gap lens, we actually started looking at how the society is impacted through that lens during the COVID and the pandemic. And it was interesting to see how women were impacted disproportionately. One area, of course, we were looking at was the healthcare area. And we noticed that women are more exposed and more in danger of actually contracting the COVID virus because they are actually in a position to provide a lot of the unpaid care and the domestic care at home. Um, they are taking care of the elder family members, parents. Um, they are actually uh, exposed because a lot of, you know, frontline healthcare workers are women. So they are more exposed. But interestingly enough, when you look at the data, actually, women are less likely to die from it. So the rate of death amongst women and men is half of death rate amongst men. So maybe women have uh, some kind of a superhero uh, blood type or, or something in our genes that, that we can save humanity. So these are the type of things that, uh, you you know, if we have more data and we can do more studies, it may actually become uh, something that's beneficial to the entire world. But also on the other side, we've noticed, for example, before we knew one of the areas of problem has been that most things have been designed around a male body and male figure. And in the PPE area, we saw that even though many of the frontline health workers are women, the gear, the protective gear that they wear is not designed for women. So they're more exposed. So this is just a few small examples of how women are more exposed. Or we saw that, for example, 
at home because domestic violence has been an issue. It just in this uh, time where you're spending a lot of time at home in a closed environment with a spouse, perhaps that is abusive. The cases of domestic violence has increased and that's disproportionately affecting women. So there are many cases like this that has impacted women and especially women of color, uh, women of immigrant and other minorities disproportionately and having data in this area and then using this hopefully in the future to put in policies and solutions together to protect this part of the society it would be critical. Thank you so much. Yeah, we're hearing so many stories like you just mentioned about how COVID is treating people differently. Women on the front lines, blue versus white collar work and what's being affected in our homes. So the gender gap initiative is really about surfacing the problems and then creating solutions for them. So much of the female experience has been brought to life over the last few months. Um, Catherine, would you start telling us a little bit of what some of those things look like? Well, as Anusha said, I mean, one of the most important things to address head on is that it's impacting women differently. It's surfacing a lot of inequity that has always been there. But in the midst of a global crisis, we and in the midst of a global crisis in which we're all on screens and we're all really sharing so much of what life looks like on the ground, we're really seeing a lot of those differences. You know, it disproportionately impacts um, women of color. It disproportionately impacts, as you said, blue collar workers, front line workers are disproportionately likely to be women. And of course, you know, as we know, women are more likely to sort of carry the burden of the work in the home, regardless of whether or not they have children. It can be aging parents, it can be attention to neighbors, it can be just the general work of the private sphere that historically has fallen to women. So we're seeing not just the discrepancies between how a global crisis impacts men and women, but we're also seeing how it impacts women of different classes and different races. I mean, the thing that's interesting about it is that it is an opportunity for innovation. You know, in any moment like this, we have to look both at how do we take care of each other first? How do we take care of our friends and families and neighbors and members of our communities who are disproportionately impacted to make sure that we're not just, you know, giving applause to the frontline workers, but that we're actually looking at what we can do to support each other. Then it is important to think about what are the spaces in which we can use this as an opportunity for innovation and for redefinition of what we value socially. I mean, this is an opportunity for us as we're looking at how really powerfully the work of frontline workers and essential workers across different domains really have this crucial, crucial, crucial impact on how society functions and how our own lives even function. It's an opportunity to begin to rethink how we value, how we value teachers, how we value nurses, how we value grocery stores workers, postal workers, all the people that actually keep the machinery of society humming. So one of the most important things we can do is be looking at how disproportionately uses them and takes the value from their work and how we can better support that work and how we can better rethink our value systems, both in terms of how we value labor, how we value products, how we value innovation that supports that machinery. It's also an opportunity for us to look at how do we think about both sustaining, and in this moment we're in right this week, we're in a period of really tremendous and painful social upheaval. So we're now in this moment where we need to think 
feet on the ground about how do we innovate around supporting our communities? How do we innovate around making sure that members of communities are safe, that they can protest safely, that they can resist safely, and that women in particular who tend to do both the frontline labor in these social efforts as well as the emotional labor in these efforts, we need to be thinking about how we continue to provide those support systems and how we can look at these as opportunity to innovate and develop and to build better support structures for them. Thank you so much. Yeah. At XPRIZE, we're all about, you know, solving big, huge global challenges with bold ideas. Anusha, is there an example of one or two innovations that we can look forward to? Well, you know, with the gender data gap, one area that we started looking at was the healthcare system. And, you know, in general, as a society, we have always looked at women as something we can think of later. We'll just include it later. We'll design it for them later. It's like, let's focus on men and then we'll include women later. And I think hopefully this whole pandemic has brought up the reason why we need to include women and men, the entire society, not just men and women, but the entire society, the entire diversity of a society all together at once. When we design anything, when we put any policies together, when we design healthcare systems. So one of the areas that we're looking at, for example, is mental health. And we have seen how mental health issues have increased significantly during the pandemics. And in the uh, area of mental health, women have always been ignored. So while in many areas of health, symptoms for women have not been diagnosed properly for many, many years uh, in mental health, that problem is even bigger. That gap is even bigger. And now that we're facing with the pandemic, Uh, a lot of these symptoms are not known and not recognized and and going by the wayside. And we've been talking about how much of an important role women are playing right now as frontline health workers, as people who are caring for the sick and for the family members, and having women also battle mental health issues and not being taken care of. It just shows why it's important for us to be able to address these issues. So we are going to launch a competition, a challenge to be able to gather enough data and create solutions around mental health for women. That's one area that we're working on. But also we're partnering with, with a campaign around the fight in us, uh, which is uh, collecting plasma to understand how we can combat the virus through people who've contracted COVID-19. We're asking women to participate and donate plasma. And, and this way, we're hoping that we can collect enough data about what makes women you know, more resilient against this virus. And hopefully that data will be used to protect all of us against this virus. As you mentioned, now that we're seeing you know, everything that women have brought to the surface in regards to parenting, education, healthcare, the things that women really need. Lisa, this next question is for you. So I know that everyone really wants to know all of these things that are being brought to life are finally becoming visible to our male spouses, our male coworkers, our allies. What do you think has changed about the male perception of what it means to be female? Oh, that's a good question. I think that over the generations, you have seen women feeling empowered. So going back to, you know, World War II, when men went to war and women basically had to go into the workforce, they went through such an evolution, such a change of realizing, I can actually do this. And so when you take that generation, they have kids, so they have a different mindset. They're now teaching their kids, hey, women can actually do more things than we thought we could. And at least my 
perception has been that more and more women are bringing up the next generation to believe in the female empowerment and that we can do just as much as the male counterpart. So from when I look at my own husband, it's like the most important person in his life was his mum and his sister. And so for him growing up, seeing these feminine beings being just as valuable, just as valid, just as powerful, for him at least, he had the perspective that of course women can do equal things. It doesn't mean we can do the same thing. And I'm definitely not that person that was like, we can do exactly the same. It's like, my husband is six foot tall and weighs a hundred pounds more than me. So he, of course, physically can lift things that I can't. But I think in the past, we used to judge women based on that type of physicality. And now we're seeing just more and more incredible women. I'm not going to go back to the women on this call today, right? Look at Anusha's story. Look at what she's had to go through. Look at what she had to build. And to then turn around and say, oh no, only men can be astronauts. It's foolish, right? To see what she's accomplished. So I think more and more women are proving themselves, right? It's the Roger Bannister effect. It's the people that said, no one can run a mile in four minutes. What are you talking about? That's humanly impossible. And then you had one person do it. He runs a mile in, what was it? 3.56 minutes or whatever. And as soon as he did that, now what? 1,500 people have run a mile in less than four minutes. So it's about showing what is possible. And I think over the generations, we've had more and more incredible women step up and step out and show what's possible for then the men to see that and then embody it and teach their daughters and talk to their wives and then also spread that message. So that's at least my prediction of what has happened and what I've seen in my own life. That's incredible. Thank you so much. COVID has shined a light on the number one quintessentially superhero female experience, which is motherhood. How has being a mother changed during this time? How do you see motherhood transforming in the near future? We'd love to hear from you, Catherine. The mother as superhero. (laughs) Mothers are, of course, superheroes. But it's also one of the opportunities we have in this moment in time is to reframe their superheroism in the way that Lisa is unpacking it, right? That, you know, historically, we view mothers through two very distant lenses. One is the capital G, capital M, good mother, right? The Madonna, the new mom with the baby who is prancing through a field of daisies and everything is a lit from behind. And then we have the bad mothers, you know, the extreme, the evil stepmothers of Disney fairy tales, for example, that I know something about. (laughs) Um, We have these archetypes of motherhood that have simplified it and done so very intentionally because motherhood historically and cross-culturally has been the work of the private sphere. It's been behind a veil. It's considered not suitable for the public sphere, right? Mothers do their things over there, mothers, grandmothers. It's the work of women that stays private and hidden and not valued in any public or market sense. And what we're seeing now, and of course, this work has been being done for, for quite a while now, but you know, in looking at this world that we've bust open, bust open literally in the sense of we're all on screen now, right? I've done multiple Zoom calls where my son has gone behind me in his underpants, right? Or I've had to like wave furiously at the camera for my daughter to, to get out of the room because they need something right now that's happening all over the place. We're being forced to see that our lives aren't so detachable, right? There is like the, the distinct 
distinction between the public and the private is false. So we get to see the complexity of motherhood. And I should say, hopefully, what that pushing, what is pushing us towards is the complexity of parenthood more broadly. The other thing is that it's showcasing caregiving more broadly. We should all be mothering, whether or not we're biological or adoptive mothers ourselves. There's a place, a really, really crucial place for nurture and care that we badly, 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 badly need and that we badly need to celebrate and validate. It's what nurses are doing. It's what caregivers are doing. It's what anyone who is looking after the elderly it's doing. It's what whoever is bringing you your dinner through Postmates is doing in some respects. So in looking at the complexity of motherhood, looking at how important care and nurture are to just our common well-being and to our individual well-being. I love that Anusha brought up mental health and the importance of really digging in to the data and the needs there. At the core of that is the human practice of care. Mothers have been taking on most of that work in the context of the family for a very, very long time. Hopefully what we're seeing is an opportunity to really, really radically embrace an expansion of that to meaningfully include fathers and men and uncles and grandparents, and to even further expand it to create a much broader culture of care and nurture that we can take into more corners you know, of our social world and value it properly so that we don't find ourselves in these situations where people are, women are scrambling to figure out how to teach their kids, how to care, like how to manage kids and work, how to manage aging parents and pets and all this work that we've been outsourcing for a while. How do we come together and really innovate around that and value it properly? Wow. So inspired. It feels like this is the moment, us being together, we're starting the dreaming process right now. We're here. It's the moment to take a look at what's what's coming up and what's going on for the future and really, really reprogram our brains and the social construct. So I'm really excited to ask this question. Think about the world 50 years from now, based on everything you've all shared and inspired each other with. If anything could happen in the realm of gender equity, which breakthrough would you want to see happen? Let's start with you, Anusha. I think yeah, I would go with where, you know, we won't even have people think about gender or any aspect of ourselves that would be divisive. It would be a society that's built for every single one of us, that is designed for every single one of us, that it, in somewhat maybe even personalized for every single one of us. And uh, we don't have to limit ourselves or think about uh, ourselves in these boxes and in these ways that will uh, limit us in any way. So I hope that we can design that society. We can have policies. We can have systems and economies that values us as individuals and uh, respects our rights as individuals. And, and I hope we can build that society together. Sounds like you three are the perfect ones to start building. Lisa, I'd love to hear from you. Yeah, to be honest, I'm really just going to echo what Anusha said in that a world where it's just the best and right person for the job, in essence, right? It doesn't matter what gender, what nationality, where you come from, how old you are, if you're 15 or if you're 50 or if you're 80, it's like, who is the best person for that job? And that should be the person that gets it. And man, what a world, a wonderful world it would be in where it, it is that simple, where it's like, it doesn't matter if you're, if you Harvard educated or did you learn on YouTube? It's like, I don't care. Do you have the skill set that is needed for this specific thing? Yes or no. And that's it. Like in a world like that, now it can be equal footing, right? And that's what it all comes down to, to me is how can we do equal footing? It doesn't matter where you are in life or what your background is. It, it, 
How do we get to equal footing? And it, everything is based on that. Like that then becomes how hard do I want to work to get good at something so that I can apply for that role, position, job, however you want to think of it. Because now it's down to the individual. Now it's down to me on how hard I want to work myself to get there versus external blockades where it's like, no matter how hard I work, I'm never going to be able to get in the room because I'm a woman or because of my nationality or color of skin or whatever. So, you know, kind of just piggybacking off Anusha that that would be a dream come true. I think that will open up. And, and literally, I really do believe that will change the world. It will have such a massive knock-on effect to parenthood and businesses that start. And yeah, I could talk about this forever. So I'll just put a pin in there. <laughs> Amazing. It sounds like a world where you can literally just be yourself and it's enough. It's so exciting. And Catherine, love to hear from you as well. Can I jump on Lisa's magic wand? Because <laughs> it's, it, it, it's, it's a crucial, crucial, crucial point. Literally and figuratively, I want to pick it up. Because this was, you know, when I was still with the Walt Disney Company, I did a lot of work in this area and I was calling it, there, there's a lot of research on the confidence gap for girls, women's moral and social development. Um, there's a lot of data on the dip that happens as they begin to become aware of, you know, consciously or not of society's expectations of them, their own social currency, all of these things. At Disney, I started calling it the dream gap because in a lot of the work we were doing, what we were seeing is that the impact of a loss of confidence directly hits one's capacity to dream. And one's capacity to dream and then to connect their capacity to dream with an ability to pursue their dreams. And over the last um, couple of months during this crisis within the league, we've been having a lot of conversations with women about their desired futures coming out of this and what actions can be taken. And every conversation cycles back to this, th this moment that we have to start with of, we need to treat this as a challenge that we have a magic wand for, right? We have to go back and unprogram the social programming that we got that said, you can have dreams when you're little, you can think about princesses and balls, but that as you grow up, you have to become Wendy to a world of Peter Pan's, right? You have to be the adult. You have to just do the work of maintaining things. And the dreaming goes to the boy geniuses and eccentrics and the Disney's and the Zuckerberg's, you know, the Peter Pan's of the world. So we've had to do this work of like going back to like, okay, let's say we give ourselves permission to dream. And let's go a little bit further and say, let's not just say we have permission to dream. We have an obligation to dream. And we need to think about the world we're moving into is one in which every woman, girl, boy, man, anybody, no matter where they come from, has a right to dream and a right to think about what they can do to pursue their dreams. And the thing that Lisa is speaking to with that magic wand is speaking to this capacity for us to imagine horizons of possibility and not just treat them as things that we fantasize about and then dismiss because that's not work that we can do, or it's maybe only available to a few extraordinary people, but something that we can actually work on in some capacity or another, things that we can come together for. So that choice that Lisa was talking about that hinges on what we feel like we have permission for really begins with us linking arms and agreeing and being really, really assertive that we don't just have permission to dream, right? But that we have an obligation that if we're going to solve the challenges that we're confronting right now, if we're going to be able to really innovate in the ways that we're talking about and build a desired future, we have an obligation to dream and we have an obligation to support each other in that. We especially need to look at the members of our communities, beginning with women, but also people of color, anybody who has been marginalized in any way, anybody does not get to be Peter Pan 
all of the Wendy's of the world, we need to agree we're going to support that power of imagination, as Lisa says, that capacity to dream, and then commit to finding the connective tissue between the dreams and the actions we can take to start making them reality. That's so beautiful. It feels like COVID has brought to the surface all of these new values that were previously not important, and now they are made important, just as important as power and strength. So now we have compassion and empathy and care. And with both of those types of values together, we can change the world. We can have a world that's beautiful and equitable for all. So this has been incredible, but I do want to take the last five minutes that we have here together and just talk about the moment in history that we're in. A serious take on what's happening outside of our doors and would love to just hear from you if you'd like to share about how you feel about this moment and where we can move forward from here to create this, this beautiful future that we just painted 50 years from now. Let's start with Catherine. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think my desired future I- incorporates, I mean, borrows from both what Anisha and Lisa said. I would add this curl that 50 years from now, hopefully we do a lot of hard work to get there before then, um, but that we're actually redefining what um, success and power look like. That And that we're going back to that question of what we value so that when we're talking about what Lisa said about working hard, you know, and being qualified for things that we've actually sort of deconstructed some of what we currently think of as the right qualifications. For example, the Harvard MBA or having the right connections or being the loudest person in the room, right? Or being the person that knows how to fire the most people or the person, you know, who like can stand in a power stance, you know, in a power suit, you know, and model the kinds of models that we've seen for millennia and instead look at a world in which we can imagine a, a president and and in my view, I'd like, love it for it to be a female president, a female president of color, perhaps a female president of color, you know, who's like open about being on the autism spectrum, right? But not because she's a woman of color who's differently abled, but because her practices of leadership are deemed to be powerful. So she's a compassionate leader, right? She's an empathetic leader. She's a leader that supports principles, social principles of nurture and empathy and equity. And ideally that we're seeing that within a community of which we're seeing white men do that too, right? Where the Harvard MBA is no longer deemed the, this is what you need to be a CEO, but you need to have done hard work and sustainability and cooperation and collaboration. And you know how to build teams in which you are really cross-functional and really borrow from everybody's expertise and knowledge and where we're seeing those different practices of what it means to really be thinking about commonwealth right? And the things that are better for people and better for the planet. So that our idea of what a president or a CEO, you know, or an inventor and innovator shifts, and we're starting to really see those different images. So a boy can be as excited about being a stay-at-home parent or a nurse or a kindergarten teacher as much as a girl can be excited about leading a space organization or building theme parks or doing other extraordinary things. And that we're taking all those different valuing of what humans bring to the table and really beginning to be able to draw from the extraordinary wealth of imagination and curiosity and skills and ways of caring and being human that we have. Powerful. Thank you. Lisa, how about you? 
Yeah, I mean, Catherine said it so beautifully. Um, and the only thing, I think you said the curl, which I quite like that reference that you said earlier, uh, Catherine. Um, so the curl that I, I'll add is um, making sure that we do that, but really doing it from a, what are humans like? What is our te- what are our tendencies? And how do we use um, what we know, the reality of what we know about humans? And how do we do that? Because I, I, I think it's going to be a very uphill battle if we try to change um, natural tendencies that humans have. And so if we can recognize what the natural tendencies that humans have and how we can explain and use that to bring us together, I think that is going to then bring the change that Catherine was talking about. The problem I see is when it becomes a them versus, you know, or them versus us, us versus them, however you want to put it, it becomes more of everyone gets their guard up, everyone puts their walls up, and then it becomes a who's going to punch a harder punch, or who's going to throw a harder punch. And instead, if we can say, okay, this is what type of world do we all want to live in? Let's paint that world. Now let's backtrack and say knowing how humans are how do we create it and not bsing ourselves just like really laying out the truth of what will actually have to happen what policies will actually have to change empower who's empowered this actually a slow poison who's a slow poison and being a hindrance to what we're trying to create and like taking off the rose color goggles, taking off all the things of, oh my God, we want it to be a perfect world and saying, how do we actually do that? And now what are the steps in order do we need to take? So that's what I would love to see. Wow. Thank you so much. Anusha, last but not least. Well, uh, building on what Catherine and Lisa both said, um, and also just uh, building on some experience I had uh, as an immigrant coming from Iran and living in Iran during the revolution, you know, just this, this was hitting a, a special, you know, note with me that was very painful. And, and, you know, violence, uh, anger is something that I don't believe will lead to anything constructive. I believe this is a deep-rooted problem. It's a societal problem that requires thoughtfulness and it won't be solved overnight. It requires leadership. It requires people coming together with constructive solution. I've been quoting recently um, the letters from Birmingham uh, that uh, Dr. King wrote while he was uh, in prison because he clearly articulated the actions that he took and and asked the society to take at that point in time, which was a critical moment in time in the uh to to get us where we are today. And so seeing what's happening is painful after you know all the progress that was made. But uh it's important to take those steps. It's it's important to say, you know, we did this and we've asked for these changes to be made, and we haven't been able to get those changes uh, in place. And now that's why we're demonstrating. That's why we want our voices to be heard, and that's why we're we're resorting to peaceful demonstration. And 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 to me, that is an important part of asking for change. But there has to be a specific ask at the end. This is what we want from it. And, and, uh, I think a powerful leadership is required to get those changes in place. 
And I so wish we had that type of powerful leadership like we did with Dr. King back then. Uh, leaders like Mandela, leaders like Gandhi are the ones that in crucial time can bring, uh, you know, order to chaos and actually get, uh, you know, results, equals frustration and anger and, and bring that energy, that negative energy and point it into something positive. So I hope that we can actually channel all this energy into some positive result at the end. And, and that would be very, very important for me. Thank you so much for that. And on that note, thank you for coming together. You have shown that uh, you know three strong, amazing women can inspire each other and then reach to the whole entire globe. So thank you so much for being here. Hi, I'm Anusha Ansari, astronaut and CEO of XPRIZE, a global future positive movement of over 1 million people and rising, tackling the world's grandest challenges in exploration, environment, and human equity. We'd love for you to join us. Check us out on your favorite socials and find out how you can support, sign up, or join a team at xprize.org.